Welcome to The Jewish Diasporist, a podcast exploring the political, social, and cultural implications of life in diaspora. We are your hosts, Zach Smerin and Ben Yanowitz. In our historical studies, we have learned that specifically Jewish labor movements thrived from the mid-19th century until the mid-20th century, when they largely ceased to have distinct identities within their national labor movements. The reasons as to why this occurred were complex, with factors including the kinds of workplaces and communities where Jews worked and lived, Jewish immigrants' assimilation into their new national homes, as well as the general decline in power of labor movements around the world. Today, Many people consider Jewish politics and labor politics as fundamentally distinct from one another, with little prospects or benefits to be had in their synthesis. This is a perspective common across most of the Anglo-American Jewish left. Yet socialists have long recognized the power of working people to transform their lives and the world around them through struggles in their workplaces. Yet labor movements have often failed to realize this ambition. Constrained by anti-labor legislation, individual unions have prioritized the economic interests of their own members and leadership at the expense of wider social aims. As diasporists, we believe that dispersed peoples can play a unique role in the overcoming political economic divides. And while this can be applied in the general struggle for international cooperation and world peace, it can also be applied in the labor movement. A transnational Jewish labor association could play a role in integrating national and international labor movements that are otherwise divided between different industries, workplaces, unions, and communities. With this episode, We seek to begin a conversation about labor organizing and its relationship to Jewish politics. Joining us is Laurie, a Jewish union rep from Poland, who will talk to us about some of the basics of her work, especially in her own local context. Poland has a rich history, of course, of Jewish and non-Jewish industrial struggle, most famously expressed in the Solidarity Revolution. In the next episode in this series, we will talk to two Jewish labor organizers in the United States to continue exploring the possibilities for a Jewish labor movement in the 21st century. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. It's up to us to call ourselves to task, to sing what's good and true, to bring about redemption. It's what we were freed to do. For what's the point of being here if we're not moved to change our ways? It's time to live our praise. Laurie, cześć. It's great to have you here. Finally, another Polish person that's come and joined me to speak. We had Olaf a little bit. Ben, as well, you know. Got the ancestry. Definitely. So, Laurie, would you like to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm not really Polish that much. <laughs> but yeah, I'm living in Poland. I was born in Warsaw. I'm Laurie de Beni or Laurie de Beni or Laurie de Beni. I never know how to say it. I'm 27. I'm an activist, trade union organizer. When it comes to nationality, it's uh, a lot of back and forth. I'm Polish. Polish Jewish from the side of my mother and like Corsican Jewish French and Italian from the side of my father yeah it brings a lot of spice into the soup That's really interesting. I think there's something that we could do just because from all the different episodes we've had, we have a lot of people that have different ancestry but are living in certain places and everyone seems to have a different relationship to the concept of nationality at a personal level. So we could do a whole nother thing about just that. So thanks for bringing that up. 
So you're a labor organizer, which is something that many of us on the left really lionize and really appreciate because we see what's going on in the world and how capitalism has really just completely alienated us from the world around us and each other. Many of us see labor organizing as one of the real ways by which we can kind of scrape back our connection to each other and the world. I don't know that much about the Polish economy and the specifics of Polish capitalism, but I was really wondering, I was wondering what you see as the place and position of labor unions in Poland today within your own day-to-day organizing as well as the broader national labor movement in Poland? The place you mean exactly role or how important today it is? The role and importance as well as kind of the state of the movement at this moment. So the movement is in a pretty bad state right now. We have something around 10% of people in unions in general. But actually, we say that this is actually a 6%. This 4% is probably people who already are, you know, old and they're not working anymore, but they're just part of the union on retirement, let's say so. In Poland, in Polish law, actually, when you want to be in a union, you are, so you don't have to work actually to be in a union. People who are already too old to work are still in union because it's a big part for them, like of social or cultural life. So it's also important for them. So this is how it is. But actually, I would say it's something around 6% and it's really bad because, for example, we can compare it with I think Sweden, where they have like 68% of unionization. So it's bad. And also it affects our economy a little bit, workers' rights in general. And also I think that it affects the Polish mentality because people don't really believe that they can change something if they organize and if they are together and if they stand in solidarity together. That would change a lot, but I think people don't believe it and they're not really educated about it. Could you say a little bit about the union that you are currently organizing for as well as like the broader institutional in terms of union federations and how that functions within Poland? Okay, well, I'm organizing in two unions. (laughs) I can't really talk that much about it because it's uh, a little bit the top secret so that any employer that hears me right now greetings to you can't use this information anyhow but i'm organizing to two biggest unions in poland and i'm organizing usually in corporations offices in icts sector so communications and it but also i was organizing before in gastronomy and this is how i became part of labor movement myself and this is how i started this job anyway so i just started with organizing myself and my and then I started to organize other people. But also before I was working also in a team that was helping Ukrainian refugees with the labor law and situations of fraud, actually. So for example, when somebody came here because of the Russian invasion in Ukraine, and for example, they were working in a Polish workplace and their boss didn't give them the money. So I was the person who was going to the boss and screaming at him, give them the money, for example. It was great. <laughs> I recommend. I recommend to do this. You mentioned there a little bit about labor law, and of course, Poland is the country of solidarity, of Solidarność, that it became famous for a few decades ago. And so something that I think is quite surprising to people that might hear from it outside is that Poland actually has one of the weakest labor laws in Europe, where this big opposition movement, one which I think in quite a few different ways was not socialist in terms of the perspective it itself identified as, but in terms of its actual organizing methods, its establishment of uh, of workers' councils, 
festivals in, in the 70s and 80s. It's a very, very interesting point. But So can you tell us a little bit more about the situation of labor organizing in Poland and the sort of repressions and administrative blocks that corporations and the state are able to use to attack and, and persecute labor organizers? The biggest problem, how the labor law or actually civil law is constructed, are civil contracts. I'm not sure how we call it in English. Yeah, śmieciówki. I've heard that sometimes we say contracts of mandate, but I'm not sure. In the UK context, they are called zero-hour contracts because they don't have guaranteed hours of working. I don't know how it is in other countries, but in Poland, it means that, for example, usually it is a solution for people who are freelancers. We always like we're thinking like this about this contract in the first place. So, for example, I was working as a freelancer under these contracts, and this was totally legal because, of course, like I didn't have hours i only had a deadline nobody was controlling me i could do whatever i want and of course it was totally legal in that situation but the thing is people who are under these contracts are not legally workers they don't fall under labor law which means if something happens regarding for example hygiene and security in the workplace or general things like working over hours or anything mobbing they're not formally workers so you have to like go report it to the court we call it labor court i'm not sure and you know and proceed there and it takes like two years three years five years it's like insane so the problem is these rubbish contracts <laughs> or zero zero hour contracts this is i think the major problem for me also in organizing because rotation is easier in the workplace so people are you know coming to work and then they fell out of it because of whatever they signed these contracts for example for three months so i have so many leaders in the workplaces we're working under these uh, zero hour contracts and then suddenly i've lost them and i didn't get like 50 group of people organized because of the crucial person that was sacked it's insane. So this is the biggest problem. And I think it is super, super urgent to be solved. Of course, government doesn't want to do anything about it because it serves smaller businesses. Like gastronomy is a good example because you are running a bar where, for example, there are like eight people who are employed, but actually they're on the zero hours contract. Formerly, they're not workers. And also they are only eight. Forming a union, you need 10 people. You can form a union within this zero hour contract. So it's okay to unionize anyway, but it's hard. And on the other hand, you can't go to any leave, like maternity leave. You can't do these things. You can't go on holiday. You can do like nothing because officially you're not a worker there. You're not employed. So I think this is the biggest problem regarding law. It began somewhere around I think 2009 I don't want to lie but I think it was something like this like I was 13 and I remember when they started it and actually it was the liberal government hey everyone Zach here just working in post we tried to find this out during the conversation but it wasn't really possible for us I just wanted to check now and it's actually quite difficult to find out the exact details on when civil legal contracts which is what rubbish contracts are formerly known as were introduced suffice it to say Laurie is right they became more popular in the late 2000s under the liberal government. The elasticization of the labour market in Poland since the 1980s stands and every government has contributed to that. It's a complicated subject, we may go into it more in the future. But the thing is, in Poland for example, when you go to the strike, it's already a bad moment. It means it's bad. Because for going to a strike, it takes like a long journey. It means that uh, negotiations went bad and also that you organise so many people around a hot issue that the strike is starting. So it's 
already bad, but also, for example, for me, in my organizing, the constant struggle is that people, when they think about union, they think about the strike, and I'm like, okay, um, that's not good, <laughs> because they're scared of it. And I'm like, no, we're not going to strike all the time, because there's no long-term change for workers when it comes to, you know, documents in the workplace, because you put, you know, different changes in those documents regarding uh, this one workplace and workload, I don't know if you have something like this in UK and US, but in Poland there is something like this and you negotiate upon that. So when you put these changes then uh, there, this is the real impact that the workers have. If they go on a strike, what do they gain? Nothing. They can be fired or nothing will change. They're going to be frustrated because they went on a strike. There were so many risks and they gained nothing. So this is the problem with striking. You have to remember about this, that for example, in Poland, it is what it is. I don't know how it is in UK and US because these are different laws. In Poland, striking is a, a little bit, you know, I always push back a little bit that, come on, we're not going on a strike unless you really have to. Don't think about the strike when you think about the union. You should think more about change, about impact, about negotiating, about the things that your needs can be taken to the table where you sit with your boss, for example. I think that's a really important point. I think so many people in the US, especially and in different places, like one of the things I noticed in the UK is the strike culture is completely different. The UK has to do with the laws too, but when they go on strike, it's very much the piece of the negotiation. It's a tool to be used, a weapon that's meant only to influence the negotiations. And in the US, I think with the ongoing UAW strike, we're seeing that happening as well, where people are being much more strategic about the way they use the strike and not kind of fetishizing the strike as this glorious moment, which it can be. We look back historically and strikes are really almost legendary within the labor movement. There's really huge, important strikes that we look back with a lot of fondness. But at the same time, we shouldn't be thinking about the strike as everything because it's only a moment where it's really the organizing that is what got them to that point that we should be glorifying and really up lifting because that is the work that is thankless work most of the time but it's so important for anything of actually making that change happen yeah and as you said it's something that is not we shouldn't be fetishizing the strike as its own end-all be-all Know that there's also differences between recruiting and organizing. Because recruiting means that somebody is signing up to a union, is joining a union because of emotional reasons. Like they're so angry or so sad about something and they sign up. And this is like quick fire. It happens quickly. For example, you can recruit a lot of people at the same time. And organizing is slow. It's about relationships with people. Because the thing is, when employees have good relationship between themselves, between each other, this is what facilitates the process. So I always say to people, talk to each other, make some points, meet. This is the most important part, to know your colleagues. Like really, this is the crucial part to organize. And it's not that difficult to organize a union of 10 people. You just need 10 colleagues. You don't have to be great friends with them. The only thing you want to do is to have impact and to make change. So this is also important in organizing and educating. Agitate, educate, organize, crucial things. <laughs> you mentioned a little bit about the government. Apart from the things that you've mentioned, some of the things that come to mind for me as well in Poland labor law, there's, of course, the firing of union activists. The courts return them back after three years, but by that time, a lot of the union organizing efforts have collapsed. There's a very strong lack of funding for the PEEP, the state labor inspectorate. Is that the equivalent of the National Labor Relations Board in the US? Kind of. It's a big mix between the NLRB and OSHA. Like, they can go and say that you guys are doing things wrong but they get no funding they are sponsored by the government yeah so 
I wanted to ask, uh, recently, it's been quite, you know, international news about the election result in Poland. The right-wing populace, the far-right government uh, lost its majority, unless some sort of very strange things happen. It looks like there's going to be a coalition government between the centre-right, the centre and the left, which is the post-communists and the... Yeah. No, you're right, totally. But when I hear this, you know, it sounds like a nightmare. You know, a coalition of uh, liberals and left just to win with the super far right political party that still has majority as a political party. I don't know why everybody is so happy about it. But anyway, peace won. Come on, like, what are we talking about? They won, but they're not going to be in government. And for the first time in 18 years, the left will be reduced by a junior partner in government. There will be people likely to influence policies. But you don't seem very, um, you don't seem to believe that there's going to be some sort of influence in terms of policies on the labor movement. The left is, as far as I understand, declaring its opposition to rubbish contracts. But what's on your position on the ground as an organizer? What do you think it, in practice it's going to mean? What I have to say is that the left actually did change some things, and now we're going to see what's going to happen. But actually, an example, because you were talking about labor activists fired from work, right? So like these cases now are going to be a little bit facilitated because these people will not be fired, actually. I mean, if a workplace will fire this labor activist, they are going to be paid anyway for the time during this process. So the left did a project to cover this and to provide security for labor activists during these processes. It's a great win for labor union because people are paid and they're not, you know, unemployed for this period of time when they're waiting for being returned to work. It's great. And the second thing is that actually leftist politicians were the most supportive in even my cases when we are doing demonstrations regarding labor rights in one workplace or another. It was like individual cases. They were always there and they were, you know, calling on the media. They were totally we could depend on them, really. We could count on them. It was so great. I have to say this about them because it's true. But remember, important thing, Solidarność or Solidarity is really close to Law and Justice Party politically and socially. So they yeah. know each other a lot, people in those two places. One thing they just said that just reminded me of something that really is quite shocking when you think about it. Some of the biggest strikes in recent years in Poland have been strikes by the teachers union, ZNP. There were some actions that were also taking place this year before the elections. And you had a situation where even the politicians of the centre-right, the center center right KO would come to picket lines and declare their support right that's not to say that we actually trust them to do anything about that but compare this with the situation in britain where the labor party in opposition will refuse to visit striking workers whether they be railway workers in the healthcare system communications workers they will remove people from their shadow cabinet that's the labor party the one that was set up to be the parliamentary representation of the labor movement which says something so yeah, in that case, like it's a little bit better because any sort of opposition to the law and justice government is considered good in the eyes of the centrists. And so when workers strike in opposition to the Ministry of Education, they will get at least lip service. I was really interested by what you were saying about peace being really close to Solidarność, which is interesting because you kind of think of solidarity. I mean, it was at least like a ostensibly people-centered center-left movement when it was around in the 70s and 80s, as far as most people from the outside saw. Is that mostly like a socially conservative politic that they're kind of finding resonance with peace? The thing is, Solidarność was never left. I mean, in those times, because 
it's problematic to me to talk about it because I'm not really solidarność wise. I don't really know people who were in this labor organization in 89 or, you know, when everything changed in Poland. There are like these stories of old people of what happened. But in general, it's like, I think they were connected to each other already at this time, around 88, 89, 90, 91. These were the times. I think it's because of it, because they were always like connected and they went to jail at the time. And then they went to politics. So this is, I think, the connection. But what actually is a glue for them? It's not actually social politics. Actually, it's um, identity politics. Just being conservative in that matter. Like a Polish nationalism then? No, that's too much. Because they're, they're, the thing is, this is the biggest labor organization in Poland. So people in it are really different. We can say here a little bit about the official connection and the, you know, the information that goes to the media from Solidarność and what you can see and read and all that stuff. But inside, there are a lot of people who are younger, who are also LGBT people, who are not Catholic, who are not conservative. Like, I know these people and I know, like, I've been working with them and, you know, I don't want them to feel here uh, like they don't belong or something. Because the thing is, unions are for everybody, but it's like a two-way thing because it means are for everybody so also for the like right-wingers <laughs> for conservative people but also for like a lot of diversity like social diversity people of color lgbt plus people like you know different nationality ethnicity like religion everything so yeah but official information that you get is for example when you are in Solidarność you receive leaflets and there's like a graphic design the person in emergency room and there's a fire in LGBT colors like queer colors rainbow colors yeah <laughs> like I can show it to you and it's so embarrassing because it should be a labor union so it should represent everybody because it should just represent like I don't know labor movement like workers I don't know it's like insane it's insane in that matter so yeah as I did a lot of research looking at the history of labor unions, especially in the UK, where arguably like the modern system of labor unions and contracts really first originated, one thing that was brought up in several of the sources I looked at was the idea that labor unions themselves are the shield of the working class, they're the defense mechanism, while cooperatives could be seen as the offense when it comes to moving us towards a socialist economic system where the working people themselves have control over the means of production. And I was kind of wondering because unions are this really big tent vehicle for defending the working class but aren't necessarily like the mode for actually advancing the struggle towards a socialist economy where workers themselves control the means of production because of the idea that unions are such a big tent and contain so many different people with different perspectives it can be really difficult to really get unions to go beyond this defending role of just preventing workers from having wages cut or having the worst contracts in the world that give them zero hours guaranteed per week. So I was kind of wondering what sort of other forms of labor organizations, whether it be cooperatives or like grassroots caucuses within unions, even like labor federations in terms of bringing people together across industries, do you see as kind of playing a role within the Polish labor movement, as well as within your own thinking about how we get to a better, more just economic system? Well, in Poland, it's really a niche. <laughs> Come on. Talking about cooperatives, 
I mean, okay, cooperatives are quite, I think, still popular because there are a lot of cooperatives that are lasting for last, I don't know, 30 years, maybe 40 also. But the thing is that for young people, cooperatives are not really that interesting. I think that we in Poland live in a cult of starting your own business, even a small one. And this is the way to go, which is for me personally is exotic because I've never heard that in my household. Like for us, just being employees was always like a way to go. In Poland, there's this narrative that you want to decide on your own and having a business is the way to decide about yourself. And, you know, so it makes people start small, sometimes not really well thought businesses and not really take care of their own employment rights. So it's weird, but about other organizations there are organizations that are like international federations that the biggest unions in Poland are affiliating right but I don't think they really do have impact on anything here I think they have impact in matter of you know doing workshop or you know discuss topics across many different sectors okay yeah sure or different countries or about for example when it comes to ICTES sector you can contact people from the same sector but for example in other countries of Central Eastern Europe so that's cool but it doesn't really have an impact on Polish labor law or labor movement and actually what I really think I think that the labor movement has to be like strong by itself in here because other things won't make it stronger the only thing the only way the only absolutely way is to organize people it's the only way when I hear you know sometimes in a union I hear that people are saying okay I think that we should have a great social media I'm like yeah sure it's nice but still the most important part is that you go to your colleague and you organize them because this is what serves your purpose and nothing like international organization a collective other groups I don't know within this group won't make it for you you have to stand up for yourself and your colleagues and it's a basic solidarity together we are strong and that's all that's all what you have to do that's the only thing that has an impact in my opinion the thing is unions are really weak in Poland I mean not weak in meaning of having impact on government because they do of course it depends from a union but on the other hand weak I mean there are not enough people we have to organize so many people because it's going to change the labor law for good and for long term I don't know if it is actually the answer to your question, but yeah. No, I think it's very important because as you say, like a lot of people think about the labor movement in the abstract and don't recognize that like we can stand for a strong labor movement and have all these aspirational politics and what we think this movement can do. But if you aren't actually bringing people together, you're not going to be able to do that. What I hear a lot in my work <laughs> is really funny because, for example, I'm talking to somebody that, come on, join the union, all that stuff. And they're like, wow, it's a great initiative. Like, I support you. And it's like, yeah, I support you. I'm going to clap my hands and say it's great and it's going to do that for you. No, guy, no, man, come on, like, sign up. That's all what you got to do. It's like so easy. And so people are like, I support you. You're not supported if you're not in the union because this is how Polish law works. As a union, you negotiate for the whole workplace, for example, if it's just one workplace. But for example, let's say we have one workplace. So you negotiate for all the workers in it or the employees. So if you're going to negotiate for pay rises, all the people will get pay rises. But the thing is that, for example, you want to have like 20% of pay rise and you can get it only if your union is strong, if there are many people in it, because it's so normal that the boss is going to look at you and, and ask, okay, how many people do you have in your union? Like hundreds in a workplace that has like a thousand workers. Okay, like five. 
like, I don't care. 200, okay, maybe we're going to do like 5% of pay rise, you know, and you go on and on and on and on. And the only thing that you can do is to sign up. That's all. You don't have to be like super active. All it takes is actually to sign up and, you know, pay your fee, your union fee. That's all. And it's not a lot of money because obviously all the workers are poor. Maybe not poor, poor, but in general, we don't, we are here because, for example, we don't have enough money. So we're not going to take your money and do whatever we want with it. It's just to like support many things like, I don't know, paperwork or something. A lot of things like that. I was just thinking, because as we're talking about the actual practice of organizing a union and doing that, it's often very much focused on like one industry or one shop, one company. And it's not so much thinking about like the economy as a whole, at least in terms of how we structure the labor union. It's often like you have one union in this. And of course, you have different models, whether it's organized along craft or industrial lines or just along per corporation, each having their own union. Is there any kind of organizing that's happening trying to unite the union? Like you've mentioned federations, but is there there any sort of like grassroots movements that's trying to bring together rank and file workers from across different industries or different companies to have that sort of perspective as a labor movement as a whole? We don't really have, I think, grassroots organizations which are not unions. But for example, if you work in one sector, you're also cooperating normally with unions with the same sector in different workplaces. We call it a section. So we have, for example, ICTS section. So the workplaces in it for big corporations are working together, meeting together together, discussing together. And of course, they are bringing up uh, the subject of like general economy, for example, or general labor law, because they know that this is the impact of their work. Also, these are big workplaces. So a lot of the unions in it are quite big. I mean, like thousands of people are signed up. It depends from, for example, how in general the workplace is. Sometimes there are workplaces that are very anti-union. And they know how to do it. And they hire people to take care of it. How to not unionize people inside. Classic union busting. I always work in difficult places. Never in easy ones. Which means union busting workplaces, workplaces with big rotation, or precarious work standards. This is where I organize. I never organize an easy field. Like, I would like to. When I see, like, easy field to organize, I'm just saying, like, I'm contacting with people and I say to them what to do, how to do it, because they can do it by themselves. And I think this is the best idea because for me, in my organizing, I try to give people skills, experiences and knowledge so that they can be on their own at some point after this. The thing is that union organizer is not going to do everything for you because, you know, I don't work there. It's not for me. Actually, I always say to people like, I don't care. I mean, of course I care, <laughs> but I never say that. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not working in your workplace. You are working. The change is for you, not for me. It's not for me to feel better about it. It's not for me to feel, okay, like you did something nice to this girl that came to, I don't know, your onboarding or we've met for a coffee and, you know, she's nice and I want to sign up to a union so that she can leave me alone. No, like, I don't care. It's for this person who's sitting with me there. It's for their, you know, work standards, for their uh, life standards, for them to have, I don't know, maternity leave so that, I don't know, their family life could be cool. Come on, like it's for them. So I always say it's for you to have a change and to have impact because the impact is the most important part of union organizing. Zach was saying about Iniciativa Pracownicza, which is an anarcho-syndicalist, a little bit of a grassroots union organization, but it's actually formally a union. I am from this union. And I organize gastronomy within it. It's a great union also in smaller workplaces and precarious workplaces. It's uh, really present in those places. 
And also they reach to some workplaces where bigger unions don't go. So I think this is important to say that a lot of big unions don't go to organize in, for example, exactly gastronomy, other precarious places, because they think, oh, no, the rotation is too big or something. There are a lot of problems. We don't want to do it. And Iniciativa Pracownicza take on this thing. So I think this is important to state. I was just thinking we could wrap up with like a little bit of a conversation about how Judaism or Jewish identity might play into this. Because for many of us who grew up with a more progressive Judaism, we think of a big part of it as being like tikkun olam, fixing the world. And to me, like labor activism, labor organizing seems like one of the most effective ways by which we might be able to fix the world. But at the same time, not a lot of people actually think about themselves as Jewish workers, Jewish laborers. And therefore, there's not an obvious place for like a Jewish element within the labor movement. And especially when we think about the role of labor internationally, where the labor movement historically has been a part of the socialist progressive movement in the world and has historically not been able to achieve most of its goals when it's tried. Like in World War One, you had the Second International try to organize like a big mass strike that's goal was to prevent the outbreak of World War One. The fact that we still call it World War One shows that that didn't work. And I think a big part of that comes to the fact that they didn't have the capacity. Of course, they had millions of people that were on board with that, but at the same time, they were also organized in national sections that meant that it was very easy for those national sections to be drummed up with jingoistic, warlike media that pushed them against each other and ultimately broke the coalition that could have been that preventing that war. For me, I see Judaism and Jewish community and especially Jewish diaspora as something that might be able to kind of build those grassroots connections between different national communities because it's so easy especially when you do have crises to use, I mean, frankly, identity politics to drum up hatred for the other. And of course, Jews have often been the representation of the other, especially in Poland. But at the same time, I do wonder if there's a place for a Jewish labor movement as a way to try to connect things. And you do have things like the Jewish Labor Committee in the United States, which is still part of the AFL-CIO that was founded in the 1930s as essentially like it was kind of diasporist in the sense that it was there to oppose Nazism and oppose what was going on against Jews and support it through the labor movement as that axis of organizing. But in more recent years, the Jewish Labor Committee has essentially just become a Zionist movement. Like They were very active in the pro-Democratia protests against Netanyahu, but more recently they've essentially just, they opposed Hamas. They haven't made any statements about anything since October 7th. And I was kind of thinking like, you do have a Jewish labor movement kind of in terms of institutionally, but in practice, there's there's no diasporist practice. There's no attempt to try to build connections between Jews in the US and Jews across Europe or Jews in Israel-Palestine in a way that's more critical and socially conscious of the role that labor movement might play within the reconstruction of the world along radically different lines. And I was just kind of wondering, of course, you don't have all the answers, we don't have all the answers. I was kind of wondering if you could say a little bit about what you think, if there is any relationship between Jewish identity and the labor movement for yourself, as well as how the labor movement might be better integrated internationally? Uh, well, I think that the last moment when we had a Jewish labor movement in Poland was the boom. And after this, we lack a little bit of it because um, the Jewish community in Poland, I don't know how Zach is perceiving this, but for me, it's really small. I mean, it's small in terms of community of people who are, you know, meeting together because in terms of, I don't know, ethnicity or something like this, of course, there are a lot of people who are children, grandchildren of Jewish people 
and don't even know it, but this is the different subject. I think it's quite big in Poland, but in terms of Jewish community, we don't really have something like this. But what I think is that, in general, a lot of groups, activist groups, because, you know, I was active in many, many, many groups. <laughs> a lot. Because I'm an activist for, like, I don't know, eight years or something like this. So I was active in, like, feminist groups, anti-fascist groups, groups for homeless people. I was supporting of courting scene, LGBT scene, also Jewish, of course. You know, different, really different places. So I have met a lot of people and I've seen different approach to this. And what I think is that regarding labor movement, we don't really speak enough about it and we don't really emphasize it that we need to be together which means for example exactly jewish movement jewish community should be more supported i think so it could be more visible but same goes for anti-fascist movement for lgbt movement because these are all together tied together i think that we lack this but we should do this because it serves all purposes it serves like jewish community then and then also it serves labor movement the problem is that maybe it's because all those groups and communities are small and it's because of resources that they can't really, you know, be so helping each other and be so supportive because you can't do everything. So I think that maybe the problem lies not because somebody doesn't want to do this. It's not the intention, but it's just lacking of resources because there are not enough people and we have to focus on, you know, current things, current problems and struggles of Jewish community in Poland or current struggles or feminist movement because it's a lot, you know, we all have like these problems that needs to be addressed that goes to all these minorities. And then it's hard to find energy or find people to also do it intersectional. I'm a big advocate for intersectionality, for, of course, socialist feminism or socialist uh, Jewishness. <laughs> I don't even know how to call it. But for me, it's really important. And I was always raised in this imaginary world of uh, everywhere I am is my home and I belong there and I don't have to go to Israel <laughs> or anywhere, like never. Like my father was telling me this. And exactly what I think is that because of this approach, I also have this approach to change things. So for example, if I was in France, I would be active there and I would respond to the problems that are there of labor movement or feminist movement or Jewish movement, everything. But I'm in Poland, so I also respond to the problems here because I belong here. It's my home. My family is here. I think that is the part of the bigger picture and how I see it and how I was raised. That's absolutely amazing. I have um, thoughts in terms of Jewish labor organizing. There are specific reasons why Jewish workplace organizing, Jewish labor movement specifically today, is not take place. Size is one of them, like especially in a country like Poland. But the question is then, at what point does it become justified or, or does it make sense that there isn't Jewish labor organizing? Because you don't really see Jewish labor organizing in Germany, in France, in the UK, in the United States. And these are countries of much larger Jewish communities. But that's something that, you know, we can talk about for a, maybe you're maybe saying that there are not like Jewish labor movement in France or in United States. Really, why? Not in particular, no. There isn't, like, um, there are some, yeah. In the U.S., there's historically been a Jewish labor movement. In Britain, there has historically been a Jewish labor movement. But one thing that I've learned through my research and just reading has been that mostly that was organized by immigrants, and they were organized as cultural. It wasn't religious. Like, these were all Yiddish speakers who felt most comfortable together and therefore organized collectively. And many of them were working in the same industries. Most of them were working in, like, the tailoring trade. They were in the position so that a Jewish 
Jewish labor movement was possible and not only possible, but like very obvious. It was the obvious way to organize. And then as they became more assimilated or acculturated, that stopped being so central and they started just organizing within the more mainstream American or British labor movements. And there really hasn't been a push to do that since like the 1930s when the rise of fascism really made Jewish identity be a really key part of this popular front block, which I think is ultimately what you were kind of saying about. Do you think it's like it's changed after the war? Like, for example, in those countries, I don't know if there were like any Jewish labor organizations because I never was that interested in that like worldwide because I know about the boom. For my family, it was always like a subject. I mean, a topic that my mother, of course, knows about the boom. And, you know, even though I was in a family that was raised as Catholic, (laughs) so we didn't even know that we are Jewish. So, you know, but still Bund was something, you know, like I was raised with the knowledge of this organization. Like I knew about it. So I don't know if in other countries there was something similar back then, 1920s, 1930s. Yes. Yes, of course. How do we want to do this? I was sort of in the process of wrapping up. I think we should wrap up, but I think we can say a little bit more just to wrap up these threads. Jewish labor organizing is something that is a very important subject to us here. And we have been very keen to make this episode. We're going to connect it Laurie, thank you very much again for coming. If there's any final shout-outs points that you would like to mention, then feel free, you can have the final few words. Uh, Well, my point is, please organize. Join a union. Do it for yourself. United we stand, divided we fall. Remember this. Join a union. Join a union and support those that exist. Because not everyone is in the position to join a union, but I think it's really important to recognize that we can support each other, both in terms of rhetoric, but also in terms of resources. Like, it's so important for unions to have the resources they need in order to actually fight these struggles, because it's hard to go on strike, it's hard to organize, it takes a lot of resources. And it's really important that we support the unions and the labor movement as a whole, if we wish to actually be able to push this heavy boulder up the hill and hopefully one day have a better world. Laurie, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really wonderful conversation. It's up to us to call ourselves to task To sing what's good and true To bring about redemption It's what we were freed to do For what's the point of being here If we're not moved to change our ways Aleinu It's time to live our praise We are carrying the stories Of the ones who came before What stories will be told of us When we are here no more We commit ourselves to action It brings meaning to our days It's time to live our praise It's up to us to own the vision We are an answer to a call It's up to us to live the words we speak For the benefit of all It's up to us to bow down deeply there's a broken world to raise It's time to live our praise It's time to live